Hey, this is Kaylee. Before we kick off our episode, I want to give a shout out to one of my new favorite podcasts, Roll for Romance. It's a self-described 5th edition D&D podcast featuring five friends thirsty for D20. And as you can guess from the name, they're looking for love in all the role places. Think more paperback novel and romance tropes rather than letters to penthouse, but I guess the season isn't over yet. Now, I really was laughing out loud, unashamed at the antics that the heroes and heroines are getting into. So if you've ever been to our house, you know that we always have some kind of music or podcast playing, but most often it's Anthony listening to tabletop playthrough games. And I've given a lot of them a fair shake, but I haven't found one that really got me hook, line, and sinker. Not like Roll for Romance. I devoured every single episode that they have within a week, and I'm anxiously waiting for the next one. So whether you're a hardcore D&D enthusiast or maybe just a little die curious, go check them out. They don't bite. Except for the tiefling, I would not put that past her. Uh, But you'll understand once you listen. And it's okay to love another podcast. The dice aren't the only poly thing in the world. So go check out Roll for Romance on Twitter at Roll for Romance or their website, rollforromance.com. And now on to our cryptid encounter. Fifty States of Terror may include descriptions and discussions unsuitable for young audiences. Episodes may contain adult themes, language, and content. Listener discretion is advised. The birds. That means we're close to port, right? Only a day or so out. They can't stray too far from land. Aye. Not long. You will have you delivered to your ma. Don't you worry. I'm not worried. I am a little worried. I overheard the boatswain talking about the sound last night. He said that the waters were filled with... monsters. He said the voyage across was the easy part. Getting to port was the hard part. You've done this before, right? To this very port? Aye. I have been to this port many times. Dina, you worry. You'll get to your march is fine. You've seen them. So they are real. <laughs> I'm not sure exactly what I saw. But I'll tell you this. My very first voyage here, I wasn't much older than you are now. I was bought as land bound, but I took to the sea and never looked back. My hands were blistered from ropes they were, and my face blistered from the sun. I didn't have the luxury of a fine cabin to retreat to like you do. The seas weren't as kind on that trip either. We've had smooth sailing most of these past months, but not then. The sea seemed to boil some days. It would churn and toss us back and forth. As we got close to the south, the same conditions remained much the same. They did not calm until the final night. If I knew then what I know now, I would have prayed for the storms. It was wee hours. Most of the crew had a belly full and slept below deck. The captain was strict and didn't allow more than a thimble full of port wine after your dinner. So everyone was as sober as a priest by sailor's terms. By sleeping soundly. I, being younger and eager to make my place, found myself topside helping with the night watch and duties. When you find yourself at sea for a while, especially when you are wet behind the ears, Sometimes she can play tricks on you. Hell, 
Even seasoned sailors will occasionally glance land. That ain't wasn't really there. You learn that not all that moves is out to get you. Until the shrill cry came from one of my shipmates. Thomas, I think his name was. Now that the years have passed, something pushed out from the water, wrapped itself around his trunk and hoisted him up and up and up and then down into the depths. From both sides of the ship, the long tendrils and flails and grasping for whatever they could grab hold on. Taking man or barrel alike to feed its ravenous hunger. The crew below began to rouse and load its cannons. Firing aimlessly into night, hoping to end the nightmare that had become our world. I suppose one must have done the job, because just as suddenly as it had appeared, it slipped back beneath the waves, and we were left to tend to what was left of the ship and crew. But you survived. I, And I plan to survive this trip, too. With you, of course. Of course. Wait. What is that? This is Connecticut, the Long Island Sound. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of 50 States of Terror. Yeah, thank you all for listening. And we have a very special announcement. We have a Patreon. We have a patron. Of our Patreon. Of our Patreon. Uh, thank you to Angie. She is a our very first patron. So thank you so much for supporting us and what we what we do. Angie, as our first Patreon, at the tier that she signed up for, is going to receive a personalized handwritten letter from both of us. Anthony has better handwriting than I do, so I'll let him do the bulk of it, but I'll add my own personal note on there too. Yeah, so there are plenty of spots. <laughs> <laughs> now, we have three different tiers on our Patreon if you're interested. And some of those, you get a voting power, you get special little things that we plan on adding on our patreon page and then i think the top tier you get a personalized story written by myself yeah so each one is going to get first of all a personalized letter yes because we appreciate it so much that we want to make sure that you feel appreciated so anyone that signs up for our patreon is going to get a special episode shout out angie gets an extra special one though because she was the first but everybody will get a shout out everyone will get a handwritten letter we have exclusive content coming to our Patreon, like bloopers, uh, jokes that may have been a little too racy to put out there for public consumption. Extra features are really up and coming, things that we're learning as we go. So we're excited to see where our Patreon takes us, and we're excited to see you there too. Yeah, our goal is to have carpal tunnel of all the handwritten notes that we're going to make. <laughs> I mean, you'll have carpal tunnel. I'll have carpal tunnel. And then I'll write my cute little note and like XOXO Gossip Girl at the end. Hey, that works. <laughs> okay, so on to Connecticut, the Constitution State. We decided to go a little bit of a different route for this episode. And instead of covering a specific cryptid, we're going to be covering a specific region. Yes, and the region, the Long Island Sound, 
is this body of water that is beneath Connecticut and above New York. Which is how it gets its name. This body of, of water has housed multiple sightings of different cryptids. The ones I chose and the one you chose are the prominent ones in this area. Yeah. So we're each going to tell a little bit about a story that we found. Now, these stories date back to the 1600s. So Connecticut has been around for a while. So it had some of the earliest trade routes. It had popular ports. And we saw a lot of voyages coming in, especially in the early years and the the formative years of the United States. So I feel like it's pretty fitting. It brought a lot of folks in. So we're going to go ahead and jump into discussing one of our first sightings, one of the earliest sightings, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. So one of the earliest noted sighting was in 1878 uh, by a man named Mr. Kelly, who is described as a sober, trustworthy man. And he describes an encounter with a sea serpent. I personally love the sea serpent cryptid because it's it's classic. You know, it's not as it's, it's not like you're saying, oh, this is Nessie or this is Champ. Like this is just a generalized sea serpent, this large creature. Now it's described as the head coming out of the water, uh, seven feet above, uh, with the head like an eel or uh, the head of a snake. After this one, there are a couple of more stories that are uh, told where it resembles more of an eel with this slimy look, the slick slimy look. And then there are other stories to where it is described as having scales like a snake. The generalized thing about it is just this huge, huge serpent. What gravitates me towards this is, of course, in the area, they have those other stories like the mermaids and and, uh, other aquatic cryptids. But the fact that that this is just a, a large, scary looking thing, I love it. Now, my story... Similarly, it describes its storyteller. Now, my storyteller, his name is Captain Obadiah Donaldson, and he is described as an honest man. And I don't know if he was sober or not, but he was very honest, which brings up a pretty cool point where when we start seeing these stories really start developing and spread like wildfire, that's going to be in the 1800s. And things are pretty established at this point. And we've got newspapers that are spreading stories like far and wide and as soon as you start seeing these stories being more widespread and people are reading them and kind of getting those notions in their head that there's monsters in the long island sound of course more people start seeing them so it's like the red car theory i think is what it's called as soon as you notice a red car you buy a red car all you see are red cars everywhere so as soon as you start thinking monster and you start looking for monsters everything is going to become a monster Oh, yeah, 100%. And yours is? Now, mine is more of the piratical story. So Captain Obadiah Donaldson has claimed to have been attacked by a large octopus. Now, the word kraken never comes out and is said, but y'all know it's a kraken, right? So he is saying that this octopus was over 100 foot long that each arm was over 60 feet, which is impossibly large. 
but he was a very well-known captain. He was in and out of port all the time. If anyone else had come to port, and this is part of the newspaper article that went around, if anyone else had come to port making these claims, they would have been laughed away. They would have been deemed crazy and just not taken seriously. It was a huge story. And this was also in the 1800s. This was in uh, July 18th, 1895. So he's describing the tentacles are coming up over the side of the ship. It's grabbing a mast because it thinks it's a sailor. It's breaking pieces off of the ship. And then it is attacked by a pod of porpoise. So this pod comes up and beats up the octopus, which for the record, porpoise eat octopus. That's one of their their main staples. It starts to beat it up and then it chases it away from the ship and the ship continues on into the port. Yeah, I'm just imagining how these things uh, attack it. Like they just go full on ramming speed and just like just with their nose just hit the crap out of it (laughs) well uh, some of them do stun their prey they they hit it around and so for the record we do have octopus in that area there are octopus in every ocean the octopus that live in the northeast area of the united states are just common octopus if we're going to talk about it a little bit i'm never super confident about octopus octopi octopode Um, It's a bastardization of the English language. Welcome to the English language. So might use them a little interchangeably. But the common octopus doesn't get to be 100 foot. And when we generally measure octopus, you measure from the top of the bell of the head to the very tip of the tentacle. He's saying it's 100 foot. Each tentacle is about 60 feet. The largest of that species in the area was 30 foot. A 7.6 meter arm span. So definitely not the kraken that's being described. And they're solitary creatures. So it's not even like one could be on one side and one could be on the other. Because these octopus don't like to live together. Now, if you ever want to go deep into octopus stories, check out the gloomy octopus in Australia. Because they actually have apartments that are being built. And they're like spitting shells out and living all together. And it's some of the only cases that we ever see of like cohabitation of octopus. And I just learned that the other day. And I think is one of my favorite facts that I learned this week. That's well. That's cool. Yeah. So for your story with your sea serpent, there's a couple different things that it could have been logically could have been. When you think about large creatures like that, the the first thing that comes to to my mind is just an eel, a very very large eel, uh, and they're describing it as forty feet long, with uh, the the size of its head as big as I think I think they described it as a as the head of a cannon. When you think about that, it's like well, I mean, could it be a just a, a freak eel? I don't know. Because eels are very secretive. They like to be in their their little, like, hidey hole areas. Fun fact, scientists do not know how eels have babies. I did not know that. The birds do it. The bees do it. The scientists don't know how the eels do it. We've actually found multiple species of eels that didn't end up actually being multiple species of eels. They just ended up being the same kind of eel in multiple stages of its life. But we can't find reproductive organs. We don't know if they lay eggs. We don't know if they give life birth. We can't get them to reproduce in captivity. 
We don't know how eels or if eels have sex. And we don't know how they make their babies. Really? Really. Huh. Well, I I didn't know that. Yeah. So I'm full of all sorts of cool stuff today. So something that's similar in concept to an eel uh, would be the oarfish, which is a really elongated fish. And there is the giant oarfish, which is about eight meters, which that is a very long fish. It's actually the longest fish of its type where it has um, a very spiny body where as it were to deteriorate after it was deceased, it would actually look like a serpent body. And there's also another one called the streamer fish, but these are very, very long, skinny looking serpent looking fish. And they are found in open water. So it doesn't really make sense. That it would be in the long Island sound, but we know that things get lost. And as sometimes when things die, they, they tend to, to wash to shallower areas so it's possible that we could have seen something like that. Yeah. And then when you take into consideration uh, the possibility of maybe it's just the, the angle at which the sailor looks at it and light fraction. And when you look at things underwater, they just appear to be bigger than they actually are. It, it just could make something look very, very large. But the cryptozoologist in me wants to believe there <laughs> is a giant sea serpent just lurking those waters because there are two different stories about 20 years apart. And I love that. So there's a really cool phenomenon that happens as storms are moving in when you're in open sea where it creates different layers in the water. The top layer of water will either be moving in a different direction or it will start to like separate, which for, for lack of a better term and can cause mirages. So you can have like an eight to 10 foot difference where like the waves are creating illusions as well. So sometimes it's not even that there's anything there at all. It's the sea is a fickle mistress and she will make you think you're crazy. So another animal I hadn't considered previously to our research is a basking shark. I don't even really know how familiar I was with a basking shark. When I saw its picture, I was like, oh, I've seen that before. But it wasn't something that I would say I was intimately familiar with. Basking sharks. So the basking shark is actually the second largest fish in the ocean. The only fish that's larger is going to be a whale shark, which is ginormous. Just like the whale shark, it feeds on krill and small microscopic little things. It's not really a threat to people. It could probably swallow you whole, but I don't think it'd want to. But it has this giant gaping maw where it goes around and collects things. When a basking shark dies, one of the first thing that's either eaten by scavengers or deteriorates and rots away are the gills behind its big, 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 big mouth. And so when that delicate material is all gone, it appears to have this very, very large head with a long, long, slender neck, and then a large body, which looks like a plesiosaur. Yeah, so a plesiosaur, when you think about that uh, that creature, it, you should automatically think of the Loch Ness Monster, Nessie, as the large round body with the four fins and then the elongated neck with the, the top of the head that resembles possibly a brachiosaurus or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. It's like the aquatic cousin to like the brachiosaurus family. Perfect. Yes. 100%. So now we're at the portion of our episode where we are going to rate our cryptid. Except 
this episode's a little bit different. So yeah. we're going to rate our region. Yeah, rate the region. <laughs> rate the region of cryptids. But the scale is still the same. We're going to be rating it on a scale of one to five golden Nessies. Yes. Or we could just call it Plesiosaurus. Everybody knows what a Plesiosaur is now, right? Yeah. If you want to get in, uh, this episode into more scientific terms, let's go Plesiosaurus. Okay. <laughs> Would you like to rate first? Sure. Uh, I give the area, the Long Island Sound, four out of five golden Nessies. And the reason why is because this part of the region below Connecticut, above New York, there is there are so many different sightings of different cryptids that to me, this, this in my mind immediately goes to like the Bermuda Triangle of the the north the northeast of America. And I and I absolutely love that. And you have classics. You have the giant octopus. You have a, a giant serpent. And then the ones that we haven't discussed were the mermaids. mermaids. Uh and I absolutely love that. And one of those things to where could it be real? A giant serpent? In the back of my mind, I'm always saying yes. So this is this is four out of five. Four out of five. That's high praise. I'm actually going to give it five out of five. I love the diversity of the stories. Um, we just gave you a couple. I love the diversity. I also love that we could we could go a little bit further and talk about other monsters um, that are on the New York side of it, like the Montauk monster. My little nerdy heart is happy to talk about the Long Island Sound because. Camp Half-Blood happens there. So if you're a Percy Jackson fan, the hippocampus where he goes out and rides those, like maybe not things that came into the episode, but the Long Island Sound research stories we talked about today, things I've read before. I'm going to give it five out of five. And I think that's my first five that I've given out. I just really enjoyed reading up on this and it felt fun and a little whimsical, just enough whimsy to make it fantastic None of the downer that I feel like we found on the last couple episodes. Yeah, I like doing these region ones. These, these are this is pretty cool. So you may see more regions coming up. We um we are nothing if not teachable. We are nothing if not adaptable. And as we go, we're gonna you might be seeing some more changes coming from us. Yeah, so that is a great plug to get into hey. Join our Patreon, be a member so you can vote. You can find us on Facebook, on Twitter, and you can uh, suggest, you can send stories, you can do all that awesome stuff. We do have a very special episode that we're going to be announcing soon that is going to be all about our listeners and their stories. So keep tuned to learn more about that if you want an opportunity to maybe tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about your area and your own homegrown cryptid. And we will see you very soon. All right. So that concludes our episode for Connecticut, the constitution state, but we're going to keep it rolling alphabetically and constitutionally. And that takes us to Delaware, the first state. It's awfully pretentious of them, isn't it? The first state. Well, because it was. I know, but you have to rub it in everybody else's face. How do you think Hawaii feels? Just the way you took it to Texas. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we'll see you all very soon. Do you need more 50 States of Terror? 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, you do. You can find us on Facebook, Patreon, and Instagram at 50 States of Terror. Now that's 50 States of Terror. And on Twitter at 50 States Terror without the of, you know, because of the character limit. <laughs> we'll see you there. Yeah, you will. 50 States of Terror is a Housecraft production. This episode was researched, written, and presented by Anthony and Kaylee Diaz. 